As a, ninth, as a ninth grader, I entered high school in a brand new facility with a new faculty who had lots of new ideas back in the, I guess it was 1970 or 1969 when I went into high school. And they had all kinds of new ideas they were going to try out, and it was just going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. We had a, we had a homeroom block of three classes and three classrooms and three teachers which attempted to integrate some of the content. Uh, our band and choir were placed back-to-back on the schedule, and, and they actually ran four classes in a two-hour time period. And, and uh, my personal favorite was a policy that if your class was doing individual work and you were done with your work, your teacher could let you go to some other part of the school if those other people agreed to have you. And so near as I can figure, I spent more time out of class than most of the kids who skipped class. Because I'd hurry and get my work done and say, hey, can I go over to the graphic arts lab? They had an offset press, and we did silk screening and photography, and I just spent all kinds of time over there and had all kinds of fun and didn't get in trouble for it either. God calls us to live under authority And he gives us ways to pursue our desires while we're under authority. And I want to challenge all of the young people here today to understand that living under authority brings freedom and blessing. And there is an opportunity to try to change your parents' mind or whoever the authority is that you're living under. Because this message is not just for children, it's for all of us because we all live under some kind of authority. Even, even Dima, who's old enough to be my mama, lives with her mama. And, and Lord knows her mama rules the roost up there. Charlotte, I'm sorry, Charlotte, living with Dima. We all live under some kind of authority, whether it's the boss at work, whether it's the president of the club we're part of, whether it's the school teacher or our parents, if we are still living in, in home in that way. The command that we're trying to particularly understand today is from Ephesians 6, which says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. The second half of this command, honor your father and mother, is a direct quote from the Ten Commandments. And so this is an old idea with God, not a new idea, and he expects children to obey their parents. And then as we would look in other parts of the New Testament, we understand that he expects us to obey civil authorities. We understand that he expects within the church there is a structure of leadership and following, and he expects that to function. And and there are all kinds of authorities placed in our life. And so to learn about how to Uh, how to obey God and how to try to change the mind of those in authority over us, we want to go to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, and look at one of the great men of God of all time and one of the great men that we're told about in the Scripture. And we're going to look at him in his teenage years and watch him live under authority and also watch him gain freedom as he works to change the mind of the authority over him. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles to the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. I want to stop there. And first of all, we need to look at Daniel and his location. He's in Babylon as this story unfolds. In those first few verses that we just read, we understand that you might say the story starts in Jerusalem and moves to Babylon very quickly. This episode that's being spoken of is the beginning of the 70 years captivity of the people of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Egypt and basically ruled everything from Egypt to what we would call Iraq today, or maybe even farther to the east, and so that included the area of Israel. Now, he did not go in and, and tear down and burn up the people of Israel. Back in the day, the best thing to do if you were a king was to conquer an area and make them pay tax to you. That was a way to increase your income without any more work, so to speak, other than putting an army out there. And that's essentially what he intended to do. It wasn't until um, uh, several years later, through several revolts and uprisings, that the city of Jerusalem was, was torn down and burned, and the majority of people carried off captive. But right here at this beginning, the majority of the nation wasn't taken into captivity, but the people who were taken into captivity were people like Daniel. But there's a lesson for us right up front here. Look, Follow again as I read uh, verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, that's the southern half of the, of the nation of Israel, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord gave... Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand. There's a very important, simple, and yet profound truth to understand. Why was Daniel in Babylon? He was there because it was God's will. Now, what's the significance of that? Think about this from Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in, is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it where he wishes. Do you suppose the people of Israel looked at Nebuchadnezzar and said, oh, here is a man serving the Lord on our behalf. Oh, how great! Nebuchadnezzar has conquered us and now taken some of our best young people away to Babylon. Isn't that wonderful? Now, I don't know that God intended for them to rejoice in this, but God was in control then, and in case you forgot, God is in control now. Do you know what that means about your parents, young people? God knows who your parents are, and you are in that family on purpose. Real temptation for those of us under authority, whether it's a parent or the boss or the president or the mayor or whoever, to think, 
boy, if we could just get rid of that person, my life would be great. That is not the path to peace for the Christian. God knew that Daniel was going to be taken captive. God knew that this was going to happen. God allowed it to happen. God is in control of your parents. I'm not saying that God likes everything your parents do. But he knows who they are, and he knows that you have to live under their authority. And even so, he put that command in the scripture, children, obey your parents. There's a temptation to say, oh, my parents are so terrible, I don't have to obey. No, God knows. What we're going to see here in a minute is that Daniel was asked to do something ungodly by the authority in his life, and still he acted submissively in the way he handled the situation. God knows who your parents are. God knows who your boss is. God knows who your husband is that is supposed to be leading in your family. The same is true of all of the authorities in our life. God knows, and it's not an accident that we are there, even if it's hard sometimes to get along. And think about this with Daniel in particular. He was a slave. Don't miss that. He was a slave. Did he choose to go to Babylon? No, he did not. Did he choose to go into the king's court? No, he did not. They said, uh, you, you're coming with us, and you're going to do this. I would suggest to you that that was at least as hard, if not harder, than anything us as children have had to do. God knew about his location. So we, we understand some things about his location. What about his identification? What kind of a guy was Daniel? Look at verse 3. The king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, the conquering king, he instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs. And this would have been somebody in charge of like the king's house and some of the king's close, close uh, advisors, some of that sort of thing. The master of his eunuchs to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants, some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach some things too. It doesn't tell us there how old Daniel was, but if you follow the rest of the story of Daniel and the dates he puts on things, now he doesn't date it as in so many years B.C. He dates it in the year of the king. This king, this king, this king, so many years. And you add it up, the book of Daniel itself covers 70 years. Okay, So we know that Daniel was, when he started out here, he, he had to be old enough to be taken to learn all of these things, but he had to be young enough to, to live for 70 more years. So that puts him probably at a, at a middle teenage age, like 15-ish. So he's 15 years old. So those of you that are here that might be 15 or in that neighborhood of age, just think what, would, what it would be like for you if somebody came and picked you up and said, hey you, you're going with me to Iraq. And no, you're not going to be in the army. You're going to be by yourself or you're going to be with these few other people and now you're going to learn their language and so on and so forth. He was probably about 15 years old. Um, what kind of status did he have? He was a person of, of, of high status in the society. Um, the children of Israel, the king's descendants. 
the king's descendants. He was Jewish. He was royal. He was in the king's family. He was noble. I think there's a little difference between being royal and noble, and here's what I mean. You can be born in the bloodline of the king, or you can be married in. Married in is noble, but it's not necessarily royal. He was both. He was male. He had perfect skin. Did you read that? There was no blemish. That is a reference to looking at him on the outside, and there was no blemish. Can you imagine a 15-year-old boy with perfect skin? He had perfect features. He was good-looking. The king didn't want any homely people in his court. It's an ungodly king. We're not extolling this as a virtue, but this is who he was. He was an exceptional person just by virtue of birth, which he had nothing to do with. And then we see that he was intelligent and wise and knowledgeable. And he was able to serve the king. I like the way the King James says that he was able to stand in front of the king. You know what it's like when you see somebody who gets up in front of people and they look comfortable and somebody else who doesn't look comfortable? This is a person who could stand in front of a king. And you know how people approached the king back in that day, don't you? They they came in, they fell down on their face and they waited for the king to see if he was going to kill them or let them talk. So this was an awesome kind of an environment to be in and this was a person who would be uh, confident in a right sort of way enough to stand there. Now, I've drawn a line right here because these characteristics above the line are what I would call unearned. Um, I understand there are some drugs you can take that will give you perfect skin that will help with that, but they didn't have it back in the day. All of those characteristics were unearned. The fact that he was Jewish, royal, noble, male, perfect of skin and perfect of features, a, a handsome young guy. He had nothing to do with that. And I understand that in our secular world, if you are not that, you will struggle some because people in the world think like the king thought. But there are some characteristics of Daniel that were earned. Now I know intelligence, there may be some factors with birth and maybe some people have certain sharpnesses in their intelligence and others... I understand that, but I also understand IQ is flexible. You know, it's not permanent. It's not ultimately determined. It it can be enhanced and grown, as well as wisdom, knowledge, and the ability to serve. I want you to think about this for just a minute in terms of his status. Look And and look again at verse 3. The king said, Ashpenaz, (coughs) go find some people like this. And so Ashpenaz went out and gave what I would call a sort of a uh, leadership SAT test. I mean, how do you find out that a guy is intelligent, wise, knowledgeable, and able to serve? You can tell if he's good looking or not by looking at him, but you don't know if he's smart until he opens his mouth. Have you ever known a good looking person that wasn't that smart? Okay, and so Ashpenaz no doubt went out and said, uh, give me a list of all of the king's family. So they gave him this list, and he said, round them all up. And he looked, and he sorted them out by good-looking and not good-looking, and all the ones that weren't good-looking go home. 
But that's not the end of the story because then he starts to talk to them and to see and he called out of them the ones who were intelligent, who were wise, who were knowledgeable, who were able to stand in front of the king. Does that come by birth? Or does that take some work? Do you, how do you suppose he got to be this way? Does a 15-year-old get to be like that? Just by throwing his backpack over his back and getting on his bike and cruising around all day and just seeing what he can find to do? Or does he have to pay attention to his teachers? Does he have to pay attention to the authorities in his life? Does he have to follow what he is told to do? Do you suppose Daniel refused to do his schoolwork? Do you suppose he was a mouthy, rebellious boy? You know, when Ashpenaz comes along and says, well, we're looking for people to uh, work for the king. Just take you and your king and just go take a hike. I just don't give a rip about your king. Can you hear some 15-year-olds saying that? Absolutely, I can. But not Daniel. Daniel was already a man of excellence at 15 or however many years old he was. The king had lots of people to choose from, but only a few got the opportunity to try out for the work that the king had for them. When I read that and thought about it this week, I thought this is like the TV show The Apprentice, where Donald Trump sends out a, a work call. He says, would anybody like to come work for me and to make a uh, 200000 plus a, a year salary and, and have a car and a driver and work on a big project? Would anybody like to do that? And boy, they get scads of people applying. And they winnow it down to however many they started with, 20. And frankly, some of the 20 that I saw, I thought, are, are you telling me that's the best 20 people in the country that would apply for this? But they winnow it down, down, down because they were looking for exactly what is right here, intelligent, wise, knowledgeable, able to stand in front of the Donald and say, this is what we need to do. But to do it graciously and kindly. When the evaluation day came for Daniel, there was no time to prepare. You can't say, oh, I got to get real smart here real quick so I'll get hired by the king. There's no time to prepare. He was what he was. They rounded him up and checked him out and said, you're, you're good enough, you're good enough, you're good enough. You're good enough to try out. Young people, I want to tell you that everything you do today prepares you for tomorrow. You, and I'm not saying today has no value. I'm not saying that. I mean, you know, if your parents are saying clean up your room or, or, or organize your stuff or whatever it is. That's important for today, but it's also important for tomorrow because you don't know when the day will come that somebody will come along and they're looking for somebody. I talked to somebody this week trying to get a job and they said, you know, I've never, I've never had to apply for a job before. People just kind of come and offer me jobs. Well, this particular person, he gave me an example of that. I thought, yeah. Yeah, that guy knows you, and he knows your reputation. And so he said, hey, I want that guy working for me. That's what the king said. 
That is really possible to live that way. But what has to happen is you have to work at developing character and your mental and relational skills every day because you never know what the next opportunity is coming or when it's coming. I would say the same thing to adults. You never know what's coming. You never know what job opportunity is coming before you or what relationship opportunity or, or what responsibility could be in the church. And your work today will prepare you for what comes tomorrow. Daniel was an exceptional young man, not just by virtue of birth, but by virtue of what he had done in his life. And then we read about his destination in verse 4. What were they going to do with these folks? They were going to teach them the language and literature of the Chaldeans so they could be advisors to the king. Now, why would they do that? Well, we have to assume from some of the common practices in ancient history that they would be thinking, okay, there's, we're, we're ruling this people, this Jewish people over in Israel. We need some Jewish people who speak their language and our language so we can communicate when it's tax time or when we have to send out, we have to write something up, you know, all these things. They wanted to integrate the Jewish society into the Babylonian society and make that work in, in their system. Um, back in the day, they would intermarry to form alliances. One a king would get his child to marry the child of this king, and then they're all friends, and all of that kind of a government interrelationship. And so Daniel was recruited by force, if you will, to be one of those people, to serve the king in this way. Now, right away, Daniel comes to a dilemma. And we read about the dilemma in verse 5, and the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. This would be sort of like Glenn and Kathy on that ship for two weeks. The king's delicacies. Three weeks. Three weeks on the boat. Yeah. Gourmet food, morning, noon, and night. That's, that's really what he's talking about. The king's delicacies. The same food that would be fed to the king would be fed to these men. Now, you've got to go back in that day and think about this for a minute. No refrigeration, no freezers, no way to preserve food, maybe other than salting it. And so, if you're going to eat beef, it's going to have to be killed today and cooked and eaten. And before long, you're not going to want to be eating it again. And so, if you're not a wealthy person, how often are you eating the kind of food we eat all the time, frankly? And have, you know, we can go to a restaurant and for a few bucks make a choice of all kinds of stuff. Daniel was given the opportunity to eat this wonderful food all the time. The king appointed a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. And three years of training, a college education for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now the one thing that Daniel had a problem with was the food. As soon as they told him that, he thought, oh man. He said, you know, as a Jewish man who believes in God, I'm not supposed to eat certain foods. It's going to be unclean. You know, obviously we know that pork would be one of the things on that list, but also certain kinds of shellfish and, and uh, in a number of things. And he thought, it's going to be unclean. What am I going to do? The other thing that I'm sure he thought about was that they would offer some of that food to, the, to idols as worship. And then they would bring it to be eaten. And in the Old Testament time period, that would have been a different, a different, um, 
a different concept than in the New Testament time when the Apostle Paul writes and says, meat sacrificed to idol, we know that an idol is nothing, and so on. In the Old Testament, God didn't say that. And so he's, he's presented this challenge of eating this food which would be unclean and would be, have been offered to an idol. And he says, what am I going to do about this? And so um, look what he does. Um, verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The first thing that we understand, and it's very, very simple, but it's, it's so important, Daniel made his desire known. You know, I've, I've talked to adults who say, I have, to, I have to work on Sunday. Have you asked your boss if you could have the day off? No. Well, I'm pretty sure your boss isn't going to just wake up one morning and give you the day off unless you tell him, you know, I'd really like to go to church on Sunday. This fellow Ashpenaz didn't know there was any problem with this food. And so a critically important first step in changing the mind of an authority is to make your desire known. Kids, if if your parents ask you to do something that you don't want to do, you need to say something, not mope around the house, not slam the door and stomp your feet and so on and think that they're supposed to read your mind. Uh, do I need to say that to husbands and wives also? Okay. God never said that a husband's responsibility is to read his wife's mind or vice versa. And so Daniel made his request known. He, he said, look, I have a request. Second thing we understand is he made his request humbly. Now, again, I would say Daniel could have made a big stink and said, I'm a God-fearing Jew and I'm not eating any of this pagan food and you can just take your food and throw it away. And I'm going on a hunger strike and so on and so forth. Now, when I read verse 8, I do get the idea that Daniel was pretty resolute in his heart that he was not going to do this. And with this particular situation, we have to understand that there was a a religious tone to it. So this was not just any old thing that the authority had asked him to do. But Daniel made his request humbly. He, he, He requested of the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Even though this was an ungodly instruction to him, Daniel was humbly. He approached it as a man under authority. Young people and and old people, for that matter, you need to take seriously the fact that you're under authority. And so if your boss at work says such and such and so, then that's what you should do. And take that seriously. And when you're going to come and talk to the boss, you should say, this person is the authority over me. I understand in our country, we really value equality uh, before the law and a lot of these things, and that's good. But there are authorities, civil authorities. There are police authorities. You should take that seriously. You should come humbly. If you have to go to court, you should go humbly. All you have to do to see what an arrogant defendant or plaintiff does to a judge is turn on one of those TV shows. 
And watch some person going to tell their story and watch how that judge goes, oh, yes, sir, whatever you say, right? God has put within us something that responds to humility. It may be hard for you young people to be humble and to approach your parents as authorities, but you need to do that because at the, when you're doing that, you're trusting God to change their mind. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. He approached it humbly. He, he came in a way that showed respect. He also made his request clearly. I realize there's only one word, but I have to believe that there was more that was communicated than just this one word in verse 8. He requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. What does that mean? I believe that means that Daniel went and talked to the chief of the eunuchs and said, let me explain to you how our religion works. So you're from Babylon. You've never been to Israel much except to pick us up and bring us back. Remember that temple that you saw there? Jehovah God. And he explained the religion to him. We need to explain things to the authorities in our life. We need, to, we need to say, this is why I don't want to do this or that. This is my desire. This is my concern. We explain things. We give them information upon which to work. And then I have to believe that Daniel made his request prayerfully. I understand that in this first chapter, it does not say that Daniel prayed. But I do see verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And when I read the rest of the book of Daniel, I see Daniel praying. I see Daniel praying when there's a specific law that says if you pray, you're going to die. And I have to believe Daniel was praying about this and saying, oh God, what do I do? And and perhaps even the wisdom to come and say what he's going to say in just a minute here came from God, and he's thinking about it, and he thought, well, let's, let's give it a try. Kids, do you pray for God to change your parents' minds? It's a, very, it's, it's a simple thought, but it's profound, because God can change your parents' minds. You know that, don't you? God can change the mind of your boss at work. Philippians 4, 6 applies to children in, in the home just as well as it applies to the rest of us. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here's a great big trick question. Who is in control of the authorities in your life? Who's in control of them? Who caused Daniel to come into captivity? Was it Nebuchadnezzar or was it a higher authority? That's right. God moved in Nebuchadnezzar's heart and he came and God caused Daniel to be brought into captivity. Why not take your concern straight to the top? Do you know that's our privilege as Christians? When you're burdened about something, when you're concerned about something... You can go right to God Almighty who controls the universe and talk to Him about it and ask for His help. There is no authority figure on earth who is not controlled by God. Now again, that doesn't mean God 
likes everything they do, but when he decides, he can make them do this or do that. He could have caused Israel to be victorious over Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember there were many times when he just flat out caused miraculous victories? He would send a bunch of angels down to fight the battle. You know, Israel could have been sitting there in Jerusalem just looking out, doing nothing, and God could have defeated Nebuchadnezzar, but he didn't do it because he had a different purpose in mind. Pray for the authorities in your life. Pray that God would change their mind. And then we see the response of the authority. Let's follow the story a little bit farther. Verse 10. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men your age? The King James, it says, why should he see your faces looking haggard? I like that. (laughs) Why should he see them looking worse than the other men your age? In other words, there's a whole group of these people going to be trained, not just Daniel and his three friends, but only Daniel and his three friends said, we don't want to eat the king's food. Why should he see that you looking worse? Then you would endanger my head before the king. This is not a small thing. So Daniel said to the servant whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portions of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. This is part of the humility of Daniel. Daniel says, you know, he's thinking, I'm a slave. Ultimately, I'm going to have to do what they say, but I'm going to propose a test and, and I have just said in this response, there is dialogue and concession. There's dialogue and concession. Daniel doesn't go up to, to, to the authority and say, you have to do this or else. He doesn't say that. He doesn't cry and stamp his feet. He says, I'd like to make a request. And then the, and then the, the, the authority talks back to him and says, I'm afraid for my head if you do this. As far as I'm concerned, you can eat whatever you want or not, but I have to answer to a higher authority. So Daniel thinks, he says, tell you what, let's go vegetarian. Now it's not just vegetables, but vegetables would have also included grains and so on, which all of the grains were were clean for the Israelites to eat. And so he would have been eating more or less a vegetarian kind of food. He could have had could have had bread included in that, could have had vegetable stew or soup or, you know, that sort of thing. Okay, so it's not just, when we, when we say the word vegetable, we're, we're just thinking of, you know, the stuff that kids really don't like that much. But it's more than that. It's bread and grain and legumes, that sort of thing. He's, but there's dialogue and concession. Do you understand that? Dialogue and concession. Parents, you got to know it's okay to dialogue and to concede at times. Just as the children under authority need to be reasonable in their discussion, so the parents need to be reasonable in that same discussion. Now, there may be times when you say, no, there's, there's no wiggle room on this. This, 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 this is a must-have or a must-do. That, that may be the case at times. But there may be times, and I know from my experience as a parent, those few times when my children came humbly to me that I want to help them out. 
Well, when they came like this, I had one child every Sunday after church, almost every Sunday, especially once she got to be driving. I'd go out to stand at the back door. There was only one way out of our auditorium in Tukwila, so I'd be standing back there. And she was the first one from the front row there. She's the first one. And is that okay? And I'm going, man, I'm still, I'm still thinking about the scripture and who was sitting in church and whatever. And, and she wants me to give permission on the whole afternoon's activities and so on. And she's going to drive to downtown Seattle and, you know, whatever. And I said, no. If you want an answer now, it's no. If you can wait, we'll talk about it. Hey, I'm willing to dialogue, but this is not the time and the place. You see? And and so we have to work at understanding each other. Kids have to understand parents, parents have to understand kids. And if the person under authority will ask in humility, and if you notice there, um, um, Verse 13, please test us, examine us, and then deal with your servants according to the results. In other words, Daniel is still humble. He says, I'd like to try this, and and if it doesn't work out, then you just tell me what I have to do and I'll do it. There's humility in that. There's a good alternative presented, and there there is kindness and humility. And so, the... the, uh, the chief of the eunuchs there, he thought, well, you know, 10 days can't hurt anything, so we give it a try. I mean, that's, that's my spin on this, if you will. Now, what, is, what does God do for Daniel? Um, and you've got to know that this is where Daniel's problem started with some of the other people in, in, the, in the kingdom, too. Verse 14, so he consented with them in this matter, and he tested them for 10 days. And then at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portions of the king's delicacies. Folks, there's only one way that that probably happened, and that's probably a miracle. And young people, you need to understand, you need to understand that God is interested in doing miracles for you. Even the miracle of changing your parents' mind. You need to take God seriously in the fact that he wants to do things and he wants to make himself known. When God did this, and I have no doubt that when that supervisor came back at the end of 10 days, he went, are you kidding me? He couldn't believe it. And then what did he do? This is the part where Daniel got in trouble with his friends. At the end of the 10 days, verse 15, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of the delicacies and wine that they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables. <laughs> Daniel, what in the world are you thinking? <laughs> I can just imagine, I can hear it. Daniel, Daniel, he's so goody, 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 you know, blah, blah, blah. Hey, Daniel became the head guy right next to the king. So, you know, no matter what heat he had to take, it paid out for him in the end. Daniel's delight. What are the particular blessings? Look at verse 17. As for these four young men, not just Daniel, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge. Again, there's a miraculous element here. I know that you need to do your schoolwork, you need to do your homework, but don't forget God in the equation of your life. 
If you honor God by obeying the authorities in your life and by coming to them humbly and kindly and graciously when you have a difference of opinion, God is able to give you things. God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel, in particular, had understanding in visions and dreams. I think God gave Daniel an extra blessing because he's the one who took the lead. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar the king. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. God gave these particular, and by particular blessings or peculiar blessings, I mean he's not going to make you maybe stand before a king. And and he's not going to give you the ability to interpret visions and dreams. We don't need that anymore that we have the whole scripture. God's not going to give you that exact same blessing. I understand that. But God is able to make you stand in great places because you humble yourself under God, under the authorities he has put before you, and you diligently work. This is after three years of college education that this happens. Daniel didn't gain the ability to stand before the king and talk intelligently about world matters because he sat and twiddled his thumbs for three more years. He had to work hard at that. What are God's promises of blessing to us if we will submit to authority? The first one is the blessing of satisfaction. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Friends, we have got to believe, we have got to understand that Jesus does not intend for our life to be be, uh, poor and depressing and discouraging and and uh, uh, to be always put down and just... He doesn't intend for us to, to, uh, to, uh, to just hate our life. He intends to make our life abundant. Even when we're under authority. Especially when we're under authority. The miracle of the Christian life is that when we humbly submit to an authority, God comes in and gives us His joy. He gives us His abundance. The great trust issue for children under parents' authority or for anyone under authority is to believe that obedience can yield a life which is enjoyable. We look at what the authority is asking us to do and we say, oh, if I do that, my life will be so terrible. I must rebel. I must go my own way. I must separate myself from the authority, whatever it is. When the truth is, God says, I want to give you an abundant life. Now, I'm going to say something which I hope is not misunderstood, but the New Testament never condemns slavery outright. I'm not, in, I'm not for slavery, and I'm not against black people. Don't get me wrong here. But you know what God said to the slaves? He said, serve your masters just like you're serving the Lord. Are you telling me God didn't tell slaves to rebel, to rise up and break off those chains, and you know, you're all equal and fight for your rights and all of that? Now, I'm not saying that we should have slavery again. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not for it. But God said, slaves, 
I can give you an abundant life if you will follow the leadership of your masters. That's really radical. I wouldn't write the Bible that way. Children, you're not slaves. You might think you are. You're not. You're not anywhere close to that. I'm telling you God can give you joy in your heart even while you obey. And I'm telling you God can give you greater joy when you work through a godly process to change the mind of your parents because when you come out on the other side, you're happy and they're happy and you're thinking, I changed their mind. How cool is that? It's like, hey, God showed up here. Something great happened. But it won't happen if you won't trust God enough to obey to begin with. The other blessing that God gives us is serenity or peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What would it mean to have worldly peace in the home for a child? It would mean that child gets to do whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want, with whoever they want, however they want to do it. And then, then I'm going to be happy. We tend to think that way about our work situation too. Well, you know, if my boss just wouldn't do this or that, you know, if I could just do what I want and went, you know, blah, 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 then I'd be happy. I tell you what, you will never be happy that way. But Jesus says, I can give you peace in the midst of a storm. When you are struggling to obey, do it. Obey. Because God is able to give you his peace. Impatience is one of the opposites of peace and contentment. And it's a source of all kinds of problems for those who don't want to obey. People can't earn enough money to own the things they want, so what do they do? Steal them. Or find some other illegitimate means to get them. They can't wait till marriage to have sex, so they give in and have it now. They can't wait to be in charge of their life, so they rebel at every issue of control. And all of these ways of thinking and acting lead to heartache and difficulty, but obedience leads to peace. I would submit to you that the way to get peace in your family is not to, to overthrow your parents, but to submit to them and trust God to come along and meet your needs. Shortly after I gave myself wholly to the Lord and he impressed upon me that he wanted me to pursue the ministry, I discovered this passage of Scripture, and it encouraged me greatly. The, the apostles here have just heard Jesus talk about how hard it is to come to faith in Christ. And Peter says... We have left all to follow you. And there's a clear inference, which is, what do we get? So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel's sake who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Living under authority requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice of your pride, 
You don't get to decide what you do all the time or how it's done. There's a clear sacrifice that's expected there. There's a clear sacrifice that God asks you to make for his sake. And what does he say? He will pay you back for every sacrifice you make. A hundredfold. A hundredfold blessing. I believe that, and I'm not a health and wealth gospel guy. I think I hope you understand that. I don't believe that if you put a dollar in the offering, God has to give you a hundred back. But I believe in terms of, of caring for your life, when you sacrifice, when you purposely say, this isn't what I want, but it's what God wants, so I will do it. When you do that, God says, I'm going to pay you back. And I would certainly say that has been the experience of my life. I even think of it in terms of freedom in all kinds of ways. One of the things I was thinking about the other day as I thought about this authority and whatnot, I was in a, in a music team in college, and we went out for the summer. They sent these teams out every year, and this particular year they sent out two teams. And ours had six people on it, and there was four guys and two girls, and we had a van and a schedule and places we were supposed to be. And they put me in charge and sent us out with no faculty supervisor, and I was 20 years old. And I look back at that, I think there is no way I would ever do that. I wouldn't have done that with my own son. I wouldn't have done it. Not a chance. They'd have ended up in Timbuktu, not in California. <laughs> God is able to bless, and, and frankly, we just had a wonderful time all summer long. Had a great time together. Why in the world would God give us that much freedom? The only thing I can figure is that God knew all of us were up to using that freedom well. And the only reason could possibly be because we've lived under authority. Young people, I want you to know that there will be days of freedom ahead, even if today feels like a day of authority and power over you. Follow it. Trust God and let him give you his freedom in that. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for helping us to follow your authority, to submitting to your authority, to submitting to your way of life. We all struggle to obey, to follow, to submit at different times. Father, help us. Help us to find your path. Help us to walk on it. Help us to, to work with the authorities in our life. And Father, as we do that, give us your peace and give us your blessing. I pray in Christ's name, amen.